0: thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word and your, your love of us. We ask you to guide and lead us as we study this section and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 20. We're going to be starting at verse 14. We've been looking at the rebellion of Seba against David as he was just being restored to his kingdom. He is running away from David. David is sending the army out after him. And we left off on verse 14, well, we left off at verse 13, uh, that he was, that they were trying to get uh, Seba before he had gotten into a town. So verse 14. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and to Bethmachach and all the Berites, and they were gathered together and went also after him. And they came and besieged him in Abel and Bethmachachach, and they set, cast up a bank against the city, and it stood up the trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the walls to throw it down. Then cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say I pray you unto Joab, come here hither, that I may speak with you. And when he was coming to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am he. Then, he said unto, then she said unto him, "Hear the words of your handmaiden." And he said, "Answer." And he answered, "I do hear." And she spake, saying, "They were want to speak in old time saying; they shall surely ask counsel at Abel, and they ended the matter." I am one of them that are peaceful and faithful in Israel. Why seek you to destroy the city of a mother of Israel? Why will you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so, but a man out of Mount Ephraim, Seba, the son of Bechri, Bechri by name, has lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman say, uh, said it unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. We're going to stop there. Um <laughs> uh, you know, that's a big deal, apparently. <laughs> so Seba is running away after he's challenged. <laughs> challenge, you know. And remember, his challenge really wasn't that he was going to be king, but he said, what part do we have in David? All right? We're not of the tribe of Judah, We're not, and David is not, you know, is not of our tribe. Why would we care about what's going on with David? And because we've already seen these, Issues coming up. David's son has rebelled against him. David has had to run. David obviously has had to make pay, have taxes brought in because he is a king, and governments do do charge taxes. And we see all this going on. And he says, you know, he's really speaking great treason against the king. You know, what well, you know, what what have we got to do with this king? And the people join sides with him. So we see a, an issue here developing. And I think there was more to his desta- statement. I believe he had to have actually said, you know, follow me type deal. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been attacking after him. They would have just gone out and arrested him and not tried to go out with an army to fight against him. Uh, but enough people had gone to his side. Maybe, maybe the talk was to go to his side. It doesn't really tell us why. Because what he says is not really that grievous. Yes, it's treasonous. You know, don't, don't support David. And yes, the 10 tribes go away. You know, abandon David is he, at the time when there's supposed to be a ceremony. The king is returning, and they abandoned him. So I don't know what all is actually behind all of this because it doesn't say. All we know is they're chasing this man. Joab is chasing after him, and remember, Amasa was originally sent to go after him, and then Joab killed Amasa in cold-blooded murder, just as he's done to two other people in, that we know of. Probably more, but two others that we know of, and they chase him to a town called Abel, and he gathers there, and Joab lays siege to the city of Abel. When if you don't know what that really means, it means they circled the city, and harassing the city. Basically, they're going around the wall, and keeping water from coming in, keeping food from coming in. Most sieges of a city would usually last a year to five years. You know, you think about a long battle, this was not short-term. If you sieged the city, you had to keep it because most cities had storehouses, so you had to wait for their storehouse of food to be, to be done. If they had a well in the city, you were never going to get them until they starved. If it didn't have a well you'd be able to get you'd be able to win the battle in just a couple months water would run out very fast but if they had a well in their city you had to wait for the storehouses and however many storehouses they had and then another another 40 to you know 40 days or so before the people got so hungry that they would finally surrender all right so they're prepared to do this. Now Joab is not prepared just to circle the city. He is actively fighting this city. It says that he threw that he cast up a bank against it or he's building up a mound. He's building up a a ramp to be able to go up the wall. All right. At the same time that they would build that ramp, they would be building ladders, and they would build, build battering rams, and whenever they'd run up the ramp, and they would throw ladders up, and you've seen the movies and everything where this kind of stuff happens. They'd hit the, hit the wall, the gates with the battering ram, and try to get into the city. Uh, Joab is not just going to sit on his laurels and wait for this city to starve to death. He is being very active in this attack, and they're getting ready to come to it, and, there's st- and it says the people are battering the wall to throw it down, and not just the door. So apparently this city has not got the strongest wall out there. It's it's not a real strong wall. The people are beating on the wall trying to take it apart. Um, and so I, I kind of I just get a fi- funny picture of this. If this was made into a movie, it would be a, you know it almost be a comedy as they're attacking, beating on the wall. You know let us in. Let you know let this wall down. Uh, but it's probably not a strong wall. You don't beat on the wall of a of a you know of a city like Jerusalem or or uh, Babylon, which has you know 10, 20 foot walls. You know it's a pretty it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, so we see this picture. They're beating on the wall. They're throwing. They're, they're attacking it. I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Joab would have built some catapults. He's harassing them. They're throwing rocks into their cities, into the city. He's not making life easy for them. All right. He's a a general. He's an experienced general. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to take a city. And it says on verse 16, And there cried a wise woman out of the city, Hear, hear, say I pray you unto Joab, Come here that I may speak with you. Now, what is this coming down to? This person is actually playing on Deuteronomy 20 verse 10. The children of Israel were ordered that when they besieged a city, they were to offer them peace. In other words, surrender. You, are you willing to surrender? Now Joab apparently hasn't done this up to this point, but she's coming to him and saying, you know, hey, Joab, will you talk to us? Will you talk to us? So she's playing into this whole thing of speak, you know, follow, follow the law, jo- Joab. <laughs> You know, follow, follow God's laws and come to us and tell us what is going on. Give us a chance to not be destroyed. This is a big deal. Uh, she, she pretty well knows what he's doing there. It's not a question of this. Uh, she's probably already decided what's going to happen if they're willing to talk. And uh, the other part about this, she's asking Joab to come and talk to him. And I can't remember which one it was, but one of the... Judges got killed because he went too close to the city, and a rock was thrown off the, off the roof, uh, off the wall, and crushed him. Joab is going to keep his distance, all yeah. right Because he knows those stories. Uh, so she's calling him, come and talk. Joab, come and talk with us. Do and she doesn't quote the verse necessarily, or at least not quoted that she quotes it. But it is what was supposed to be done. When Israel attacked, they were to go to. The go under truce and say will you surrender rather than be having us attack you now how often did israel do that probably not very often they didn't follow most of God's laws so they probably didn't follow that law either but she is coming out and challenging him to do what is supposed to be done and Joab talks to her and uh, he comes and you know comes to speak to her and she goes you are you Joab and he said I'm I am he and then she says hear my words and Joab says I'm listening I'm listening to what you have to say now this is kind of an interesting position because usually when we think about the Old Testament we usually think about women being totally unlistened to and everything we know this woman's listened to she's saying you know, she's going to tell him, you know, hey, I'm I'm one of the wise women. I'm one of the ones that speak. We know that Deborah was one of the judges of Israel. Okay, Israel has had some women leaders over, even through the biblical times, uh, and this woman saying, hey, Joab, I'm one of the wise ones. I'm one of the ones that people came to, and she gives this story in here, in verse 18, says they, they used to speak in the old about that they shall surely get counsel at Abel, and they ended the matter. Apparently, this town had this reputation of giving good counsel. All right? Uh, there's no historical reference to this other than this statement. And Joab doesn't, doesn't counter her, her statement and say, no, that's not a true statement. Okay, there's nothing in there that says he says she's a liar. So she's obviously qu- quoting something that is well-known. You know, you want to get answers to your, your, your issues, go to Abel and talk to, the, talk to these wise people in Abel. All right? And I said, there's no contradiction. I read several commentaries. No, nobody quoted any source for this other than the biblical statement. All right? Uh, but we don't see Joab saying, oh, woman, you're full, you're, you're full of yourself. That's never been said actually tends to agree with her okay I'm listening what, what what is what is your counsel and you know we know the same thing if somebody says you know well it's said and it's not and we've never heard that uh, statement we're probably going to go who says or or where did that come from Joab is not making that statement it's almost like he's saying okay yeah I understand I accept what you're saying and uh, so she's saying it said this, and then verse 19 says, I am one of them that are peaceful and faithful in Israel. In other words, I'm on the king's side. And she's even saying, you know, that I am one of these people that people came to. She's one of the, it says she's an older woman. She's one of the wise women. She's, she is probably one of the ones that has had a long history in this coming to, to council. And... Uh, she says, hey, I'm one of these that are, I'm, I'm peaceful and faithful in Israel. I'm on the king's side is what she's saying in, in, in reality. I, I, I support the king. I don't, know, I don't know why the king's sending his army out here to attack us. Let's talk. Tell us what's going on. Again, is she unaware that this man is in the town? It's possible. She may not know every single person that's come into town. I doubt it. And, you know, it says he came in. It doesn't say an army followed him. An army chased him. So I imagine there's some men with him. Yeah. Uh, it just says that he got in there because it said that he removed and all the people went on after Job to pursue after Seba, the son of Berai in verse 13. So he may be leaving on his own. Again, we don't know if he actively promoted himself as an opponent of David, or just because the people left David, David's now worried that this man will gather an army around him. That's right, because after they killed Amasa, David kind of went, OK, we're going with that guy. Yeah, well, well, the, the people, yeah, yeah, are the people that were following Amasa. Yeah, so we don't know if Shiva, and again, it doesn't tell us. Yeah. It tells us that he says who, you know, why are we supporting David and the people abandon him? It uh, doesn't say that he formed an army. And I think David's attitude may be, if I let him get away with this, he's chari- he was charismatic enough to get everybody to not follow me. Would he be charismatic enough to form an army and, a, and another rebellion against me? And David's not in a good frame of mind at this moment. He's just just getting his kingdom back. And a time of celebration, all the people leave him. And that's kind of a hard thing to imagine. It's time for a celebration. The king is returning, and the people abandon him. So David may say, "I want him. I want his, I want his head, because <laughs> I'm not going to have him raised up because what it, remember how Absalom raised up his rebellion? He sat at the gate day in, day out. Basically saying, it's really a shame there's nobody in the palace who cares for you like I would care for you. You know, I, I would, if I was the one making the decision, you'd, you'd get your answer. But you know, my dad David, you know, he, he's not going to necessarily do what's right for you. And built in people on his side and tearing his dad down. This man has already got the ear of the people, and David's probably worried that he's going to do just what Absalom did. You know, a little bit of secrecy and 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 swiping at him, and the next thing you know, he's got another rebellion on his hand. And if it was a rebellion that time, I don't think he'd have any problem. It's not his son trying to rebel against him. Yeah, you know, he'd kill this guy in you know, a heartbeat as he's do, getting ready to do right now. Uh, and I don't know if he if they were told to go kill him or basically arrest him. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they were told to gather and, and, and go get him, so it doesn't really tell us whether he was told to kill him or not. You know, jo- Joab's going to kill him. Okay. Yeah. That's Joab's way. Opponent of the king, kill him. Uh, he, kill, he killed uh, Absalom when he was told not to harm Absalom, and he is, he is not a very nice man, and uh, says just pursue after him lest he get into a fenced city and escape from us. So I believe David wanted him, I believe David wanted him arrested and, um, and then could be convicted, but it didn't happen that way. Uh, as a matter of fact, Joab's not even the one that gets to kill him, so. Uh, but she says, you know, they were and she said, uh, I am one of the faithful, why do you seek to destroy our city? So she's playing this up real well that she doesn't know what's going on. And as I said, it may be that she doesn't. All she knows is her city's surrounded. And remember, the elders of the city may have known because the elders of the city would sit in the gate. They would know who came in. They would know who this man is. She's a mother of Israel, as she tells herself. You know, she's won this council, but she would not be in the position to sit in the gate. She's not going to sit in judgment of cases. She would be at home taking care of her home things, you know, helping counsel when called on but she's not going to be the one sitting at the gate. So it is quite possible that she does not know why the army is surrounding her city. Oh, she's going in and saying, hey, you know, I'm one of the wise women. People have come to me for a long time. Maybe I can, you know, maybe I can talk with Joab and find out what's going on. In the Bible, women tend to have some authority and position. We read about the Proverbs 31 woman who's running her house and running businesses and taking care of everything. So women weren't as down on as most people think of, they still were down. Don't get me wrong. They weren't, you know, they couldn't testify in court. They couldn't, their, their testimony wasn't worth anything. But they did a lot and had a lot of responsibility in many cases. They were strong. And they were strong. They were strong. That's yeah. they wouldn't mention good about them. They're strong. Yeah. It's not that they were wimps or anything yeah. and, and, and doormats and, yeah. And even during the days when women were really pushed down, they still weren't doormats in most cases. It, they may not have had a whole lot of say outside the house, but mom has always had some say in the house. The wife has always had say in the house. Uh, even in places where they were dominated over, they, they could still get their, their way. Well, even back then, because the women were separated. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a whole other subsection going on there. But the old saying, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, has yeah. always been true alright even on a domineering husband if he really doesn't want to take his wife's feeling into, into consideration she will make it known that she is not not happy and and, uh, and it, it's even true in this week in, in this day and age here but this woman speaks to him and says you know are you you know why do you seek to destroy the city and a mother of Israel okay in this case she's not just speaking of her as a mother but a counselor, an advisor, somebody who really takes care of Israel because, again, she said people have come to Abel for advice and I'm one of them. Why are you here? Talk, basically Still telling Joab, talk to us. Let's see if we can do this peacefully so that you don't have to tear our city apart. And this is, this is what's going on here. And then she gets a little more, in, little more in here. She goes, why will you swallow up the inheritance of Israel? In other words, why are you going to kill parts of the tribes of Israel? This is always one of those big deals. Why did David not want to battle Absalom? He did not want a civil war. I'm sure he was not concerned that he couldn't beat his son in battle, but that would have pitted Israelites against Israelites, and he did not want to do that. He did not want to shed blood in that way. He never wanted to tax Saul. He never wanted this to be an Israelite-Israelite battle. And so he is, this person is playing on that same theme. Why are you going to kill the inheritance? Remember one of our last chapters, the last chapters of ju- uh, Judges, where the people of Israel come against the Benjamites because of the sodomy that, that had happened and they wouldn't release their people, and they killed the almost the entire tribe of Benjamin before they realized what they were doing. And then going, what is this that we've done? We've almost destroyed an entire tribe. And they remember the promise that they had made that none of them were going to give their daughters to the, to the Benjamites. And so they had a real big problem with this. And so they allowed for the Benjamites to steal their women. They have a big party. Yeah. A big party. You, guys, you guys take whatever women you want. And then when that wasn't quite enough, they found one tribe that hadn't come to, to, the, to the battle and been bound by that. And they took their women <laughs> by force and gave them to, to, uh, to Benjamin and then saved Benjamin. So Benjamin you know, was saved. But that whole attitude that comes in here, she's playing on that yeah. statement. Why are you going to hurt the tribes of Israel? And because I'm sure Abel didn't represent an entire tribe, but it would still be a loss of people, all right? So she's playing on that one. And Joab says, far be it, literally he's saying, God forbid, OK? He's not, he's, he's making almost an oath on this. You know, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. He goes, I don't want to do this. I'm not looking to harm your city. I'm not looking to do damage to you, is what he's saying. Um, And he says, the matter is not so, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Seba, the son of Vichri by name, has lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. All right, so he's saying, this man is committed treason. Now remember, at the beginning, she says, I am one of the faithful and peaceful of Israel, all right? I am, a, I am on the king's side. I am a king's girl, a Roman or a king's girl, she's telling him. And so Joab's playing on that statement. All we want is this man who's committed treason. He has kicked up his heels against David, and we want him. This is, and he's telling him this is exactly who we want. Telling them exactly who they want. And he says, deliver him, and I will depart from the city. If you guys just kick him out of the city, we will take him. Uh, and the woman said to Joab, behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. So they're not even just going to give him to him. They're not just giving him to him. They're, just, they're not even giving him the whole body. They're just giving him the head. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope Joab would know who it is. I'm sure they got the right guy. <laughs> they didn't just behead somebody in the city. Uh, so here we are yeah because he was there when David when he challenged David probably Uh, so he knows who he's looking for Uh, but you know this attitude of Joab is playing on her statement you said you're on the king's side this man is against the king just give him give him to us and we will leave you alone and she says okay his head will be thrown over the wall (laughs) now I, when I read this, I wonder about: Did she not trust Joab to, enough to open the gate and pass him out? Oh, yeah, because yeah, you know, she could have just—they just, could have just said, "Okay, so we're kicking him out," you know, and open the gate. No. I think she knew the kind of man Joab was, and didn't trust him. All right, so. And I don't think Joab necessarily would have, but he could have said, "You guys support, you guys took this traitor in. I'm going to wipe out your city." And so, I really kind of think, you know, she understands. You know, she, they could have thrown the whole body out, not just the head, but, but it worked. <laughs> it worked. But I do believe that she, and this is my speculation, it's worth what it is. I think she knew the kind of man Joab was and didn't trust him enough to open the gates. Yeah, you open the gate, the whole it down. Well. Any, and all the, once they force that in, once they force the gate open, you, yeah. you know there's nothing you guys are going to do. Yeah. You know uh, especially when you got a man like Joab. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't know is Joab going to say we're going to punish the city because of this, or is he going to be happy with the deliverance Because th- he said he only wanted the bu- you know, wanted him. But Joab is not a nice, you know, Joab's not a nice guy, and we know that. And I think most of Israel knew that Joab wasn't a nice guy. They knew he was vindictive. They knew he was vengeful. They knew that he was protective of David. I mean, he is a pr- very protective of David. Uh, you know, whether he likes just being number two and kind of pulling the strings on David a little bit or not, but he's very protective of David. He's always been ready to attack. He's been ready to fight with King Saul long before that. He is ready to kill other Israelites. You know, he does not have a, a desire not to kill. He's a general. He's a, he's a warrior, and he doesn't really care about the people. And I think she knows this. And so she's not going to open the gates. You know, give us a moment. We'll, se- we'll, we'll send him out. We'll, we'll send him out. We'll, we'll send, his, uh, send his head out. Uh, verse 22. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab and he blew the trumpet and they retired from the city every man to his tent and Joab returned to Jerusalem and to the king so she goes now she says they're going to send the head out but it appears that she had to kind of convince the people that this was what to do because it says then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom alright and you know this is probably a pretty big deal Nobody really wants to go cut somebody's head off usually. I mean, uh, these, are, these, are peacefully peop- these are peaceful people. Yeah. And this is the, the wise woman of the city coming in and saying, you know, hey, all we got to do is cut his head off, send it over, the, over to Joab, and, and he will leave. She knows not to open the gate, but she knows he'll leave if, they, if he gets the head. Uh, and she has to convince them. That's what I'm getting from this. Is she's come, She's going down there and saying, "This is." I said we're going to do it. If we don't, if we want them to leave, we need to. We need to do this. And who did the actual cutting? Who knows? Probably one of the men of the city. One of the, one of the ones that would normally. And it says they cut off his head. And threw it out to Joab. Uh, and yeah, it would be a splat. I mean, if it was only, a, even if it's only ten to fifteen feet of wall, it would be quite a splat when his head hits the ground that's been taken off of his body. And it says, Joab blew the trumpet, and they retreated. He blew the shofar, he blew the retreat, and everybody went home. And Joab returns to Israel, uh, Jerusalem. Now, who was the general that was put in charge of this army? Amasa. Um, Amasa. Not Joab, So, but Joab gets to go back in victory. And it's not even Ahithophel was placed in charge of the second group alright oh, right. oh. right. Ahithophel was put in charge of this group that Joab joins now it doesn't say that Ahithophel was killed or anything but Ahithophel probably understands that you know, he's not going to challenge Joab Abishai uh, Ab- Ab- huh Abishai uh. An- Abishai, Abishai. Abishai. Oh, you're right Abishai yeah, yeah. okay his cousin so jo, jo, uh, Joab's brother, uh, David's cousin. So he's not going to challenge Joab. <laughs> no, he knows Joab. Yeah, he knows his brother very well. Uh, yeah, not a hippopotamus uh, Amishai. Yeah. Abishai. So we have this new general leading back in victory. <laughs> we not a new general. The old general that David has been replacing. And again, when he killed Amasah, it was because he was getting rid of his rival. Uh, you did not want to be the rival of, of uh, Joab. He was, was not a very nice man, killed many people. He'd already, already killed Ahab, who, uh, uh, who had been promoted. You know, he's not a nice guy. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, take uh, challenges to his position very well. And he's going to go back as the person in charge. I have the head of Seba. And this is going to be paraded through all the towns that they're going back in. See what happens to those who, who challenge the king. All right? And remember, when David killed Goliath, what did he do? He, he hit him with the sling. Goliath fell. David ran over to Goliath, drew Goliath's sword, chopped off Goliath's head, and held it up. What does it mean to take somebody's head and, and hold it up like that? It means we have conquered, and this person cannot, cannot challenge us anymore. And they would make a big deal out of it. When Saul was killed, remember, they took the body. The, number one, they beheaded the bodies. And they took the heads and put them in the temple. And they put the bodies on the wall, hung them outside the wall. You know, we look at this and say, how gross can this, take, another, this stuff be? But most of it was basically to say, we've defeated this person, and we have defeated them so soundly that we can desecrate their body as well. And here's what's going on. They've got the head of Siva. Now, they would have loved to have had the body as well, and Joab would have loved to have the body as well, most likely, so he could desecrate the body and make sure it didn't get a good burial. The wise woman is probably going to make sure he gets a good burial, even though his head isn't with the body. She's going to make sure that he is given some honor, even in death. I have some problems with this whole dishonoring the body after death type things because the body is just a body. The soul is gone. It's not a big deal. And yet I know that doesn't go over well with people, you know, but once, we, once we're once we dead, our body is an empty shell. So desecrating it really means nothing. But the Jews have a really big problem with this. The body in, for the Jews had to be buried within a, I think it was 72 hours, the body had to be buried, and still to this day, is to be buried within 72 hours. Uh, so they don't, they don't do all these things that, you know, if they're going to do an autopsy, it has to be done in today's world immediately. Otherwise, it's buried. Uh, in America, we don't bury bodies, you know. If you're in the North Country, you won't bury the body for three four months. Yeah, so you, you, know, you put it under refrigeration, and it stays under refrigeration until the ground thaws. Uh, we have no problems with that. Much of the Middle East religions have this idea of the body is to be buried as soon as possible, and they want it whole. When you get into the Hebrew thinking, it is because man is created in God's image. The actual body itself has importance in their mindset. So that image of God must be taken care of and must be properly treated and buried as soon as possible. and that is that it's a huge, if you do the study on it, it's a huge issue to them with, because of the image of God. Which is why Orthodox Jews, and even back then, they would not burn the body. Because that would be desecration of the image of God so that they had problems with cremation. So this mother of Israel is probably going to treat his body as best she can. She got to get rid of the head to get the people gone. But I would expect that she gave him a decent burial uh, to, to honor because that is critical to the to the religious side of the Israelites. Uh, we are created in God's image you don't you don't help the body disintegrate God will take care of that is their mindset. And what they would do with the bodies for Israel they would put them in the tomb after a year when they go into the tomb and with a box and they'd sweep all the all the ash of the bo- all the ash of the body and leftover of the body dust of the body and the bones into a box And then that box would be buried. Uh, It was quite a, quite a, which is why when when Jesus was buried in the tomb of a rich man that had never been used, that was a critical statement to prove the Mm -hmm. prophecy. Because they reused tombs all the time. So he was put into a brand new tomb that had never been used by anybody else. and. Critical prophecy that would be very small number of tombs that had never been used for the messiah to be buried in and We don't really think about that very heavily because we don't usually reuse tombs <laughs> As a matter of fact, we don't reuse tombs in our in our mindset We might open a grave and put somebody in on top of a you know previous casket at, at you know Maybe and that's done sometimes uh, But in there in the Middle East they would reuse the tombs. They would clean the tomb out put the put of all the all the dust and the bones and put it into put it into a uh, box and bury that box. Uh, Alright, verse thirty uh, twenty-three. Now Joab was over the host of Israel, and Benai the son of Jehoiada was over the Giriites and over the Pelorites, and Adoram was over the tribute, and Jehoshaphat the son of Ah Kaihud was the recorder, and Ziva was the scribe, and Zadok and Abithar were the priest, and Ira, also a Gerarite, was the ruler, chief ruler about David. So from here we get to see the order of the ruling. All right, and it, I wonder why they put it in, but they, it was put in here just as a, as a piece of note. Joab was over the host, so he was made back to general. David had tried to get rid of him, and, and again, we understand when Solomon takes over the, the, as king, David tells him you need to get rid of Joab. He understands Joab's personality. This is the second time that Joab, David has tried to replace Joab as, as, the, as the leader. Remember we had uh, Abner come to David and say, I'm going to deliver the kingdom to you. All I want is to be general. And David's all set to give it to him. He's going to make him general, move Joab number two, co-general, whatever he's going to do. And Joab kills Abner. Now he puts, okay, here's my chance. I've got to reestablish my army. I'm going to put Amasa in charge of the army. And Joab kills Amasa. You know, and it tells us in this verse, he's general of the army again. Amosad had been Epsilon's general, and Abner, yeah, but Abner was, uh, killed Joel's brother. Well, yeah, Abner makes sense. Yeah. Abner makes sense, you know, he blamed Abner for his death, but still, he was going to get promoted, he was not going to take that either. He had two reasons to kill him. And Amosad is a whole other story, I mean, I don't understand why David put him in charge, you know, it's... You know, he's already been defeated by his general. Why would you put him in charge? You know, but I think David, at this point, is desperate. He's, he's seeing things in Joab that he doesn't want Joab to have that kind of authority. He may be thinking that Joab will pull a military coup while he's weak. Uh, so he's trying to keep Joab from being general of the army. But it says right here in this verse, after, after all of this happens, Joab is back in place. He is the chief of the army. And Benaiah, it, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Gerth, Gerhites and over the Belohites. And I'm not quite sure who these groups are. They mentioned at the beginning when, they, when, when uh, Abishai was sent out, those were the men that he took. He took those men and he took the children and he took David's mighty men to go to battle with. Uh, so I'm not sure what these groups were. I didn't find anything. I didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure out who they are. but. They're definitely somebody who has some position amongst uh, this, some history on it. Not quite sure who, who they are. And it says that Adaram was over the tribute. So he's the one that is gathering the taxes. When the taxes come in, Adoram is the one that takes care of them. He's the, he's the secretary of the treasury basically in our, in our terms. Uh, probably not outgoing collecting the taxes, but when they get there, he's the one responsible for putting them in the treasury, knowing, knowing what's in the treasury, knowing what's going out. He would be the treasurer. Every, if you wanted to buy or sell anything, he'd be the one you'd have to talk to in all of Jerusalem. And uh, said, so Jehoshaphat, the son of Elihud, was the recorder. This is not King Jehoshaphat many, many <laughs> centuries later. This is just another man named Jehoshaphat. And he is the scribe, the recorder. He is the one keeping the books. He is the one recording everything that happened each day. Uh, If you remember the story of Esther, when the king couldn't sleep, he had the the books brought out before him. This is the man that would have written that, that type of book. Not for him, but that was the type of book he kept. So-and-so appeared before King David at 10 o'clock in the morning. This happened at 11 o'clock in the morning. This happened at 11.15 in the morning. He is the one that's keeping a record of everything that happens. And uh, important job because he's keeping the chronicles. And we hear the references, especially when we start getting into the book of Kings and Chronicles. At the end of each king's life, it will say, and such and such is recorded in the the chronicles of this king they're not the book of chronicles but they are his chronicles that were were put together put away it was put together by a recorder who recorded everything he did every single day maybe not hour by minute by minute but would summarize at the end of the day these many people might even be 20 people showed up at the court today to plead their case the king's the king uh Gave positive op- opinions to f- 15 of them and rejected five. Uh, collected so much money from taxes this day. You know the. These these uh, important people came, and s- that's the kind of stuff that it would be. Oh, so then that wouldn't be recorded because I just got done reading now, reading First Chronicles, and I'll wait to find all the things that it said recorded in the chron- in the Chronicles, which are the Chronicles that we do not have. The Chronicles of that of that king. It's a book we don't have anymore. Every king had a recorder that wrote a chronicle of their life. The, the recorder would write down everything that that king did, who, who talked to them. And certain recorders were very, very accurate, very detailed. Others generalized a lot of the material. They were, you might want to think of these guys, this guy as the historian, the court historian. All right, he's tracking it. He's making a history of the king. Uh, maybe if it was a really exciting king, he could sell it as a biography after he was dead. I, well, I know that that wasn't what happened. But even today, if you go to the right places in America, there is a journal record of everything that has happened in every Continental Congress from the very first Continental Congress that, that uh, created the Constitution. There is a journal of all their decisions, who made the motions, who voted for, who voted against, what the general gist of the discussion was, if not the exact wording of it, if it's a good, good uh, recorder. This is this man all right and it's fun in history to get hold of these types of records because uh, if you're if you're really into history you get to really get first-hand information and that's what this guy did he was the one recording what happened to david at this portion of his life then verse 25 and siva was the scribe the scribe is basically the the chief lawyer so he is he is the chief justice, the chief lawyer. He's the one he's, David's got a, a question about the law, including the r- r- uh, rabbinical law. Siba uh, is the one he's going to go to. Tell me about the law. What is our standing? What, what do I have to do? So this guy has quite an important position. These guys are very important in the kingdom. But just like in our day, how many of us can tell who was on the, the cabinet of a of a president three or four presidents ago? Uh, who 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 was the the chief the chief uh, judge advocate of the United States t- uh, twenty years ago? You know, we might not even know today's people. You know, uh, very often. But and so this is just a pinpoint a picture in time, saying these are the important people in David's administration. And then the name we m- probably can remember, Zadok and Abathar. They're the priests. They're the ones that wanted to follow David. They wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant with David. And David said, no, that goes back. Aren't they also the ones that, that hold on with... Uh, they were being the spies using their sons to carry messages back and forth to David until they got caught and had, and, uh, had problems. And so, yes, th- that was them. <laughs> They, they were the priests playing spies, <laughs> but they primarily chiefs of <laughs> a, a priests. Yeah. Uh, and then it says, Ira, also the Jerahite was the chief ruler about David, in this case, advisor. He's the one that people have to go through to see David. So he is the right-hand man of David, basically. He's the one sitting there. He's the one making decisions. If you think about... Joseph, when he was raised up to number two in, Isra- in uh, Egypt, that's this type of position. Or Daniel with Darius and with Nebuchadnezzar, he was raised to number two. You you are in charge with, you know. And if you remember Darius, he uh, he raised David to number two, which made everybody upset. And he says basically, if you don't like it, you talk to David or Daniel rather. You don't like the way things are going. You have a complaint about Daniel. Go to Daniel. <laughs> until he was tricked into making a law saying nobody could pray to any other gods but you know anybody but him and ended up throwing Daniel in the in the lion's den. But these are the positions we're talking that are that are given to us and just a little snapshot, these are people important. And most people, if they don't read this chapter and pay attention it, will never remember these names. And it's kind of sad. But there's also a picture of what Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. We shine for a short period of time. And after you're dead, it doesn't take long for people to forget who you are. And sometimes you don't even have to die before you're forgotten. You, know, you Once you lose your position, you can be forgotten. And so these people are immortalized for a period of time. And I think that what God is trying to show us here is that David had quite an organization. He, was, he had put together an entire what we would call cabinet and said, these are my, these are my fellow helpers. And it shows us that, again, bureaucracy is not brand new. This is David's bureaucracy. (laughs) All right, You're not going to get to David without going through Ira. If it's religious side, you're not going to get to David without going through Zadok uh, and Abathar. If it's military, you're going to go through Joab. If it's a tax issue, you're going to be going through, uh, what was his name there at the top of the list, Uh, Adoram. Whatever it is, you've got to go through the stages to get to, get to David, in which case David is also doing what is supposed to do as a good leader. Because remember, Moses' father-in-law went to him and said, Moses, you're doing a really bad thing. All the people can't stand all day waiting to talk to you. Appoint some sub-leaders to help you out. And David is doing just that. He's putting layers of people in, saying, OK, small problems go to you guys. I'll take the big problems. And good leaders of large groups have to do this. The larger your group gets, the more you have to have people that can handle the small problems. Uh, I was visiting at a church one day, and the pastor said, if, if you're in the hospital and you see me, you're probably dying. Because, uh, because his church was so big that he had other pastors and deacons that would do the day-to-day visiting, and he would just go see the desperate cases. All right. Uh, and I I kind of thought it was kind of cold-hearted on one side but I think he was also trying to make the point I've got other people that do the day-to-day stuff I am so busy with this church you know and and activities I cannot do the day-to-day and that's important for people to understand you know a lot of times people think the pastor has to do everything in a church well in a small church he might be able to do most everything that needs to be done but the bigger the church gets the less that pastor can do everything and you start getting to be a really big church, and that pastor can't do hardly anything other than minister and take care of the sub, you know, all the sub uh, people that are helping him keep things going. Uh, and it's a hard enough job just teaching and preaching you know, most of the time. And so here we see a picture. David has leadership put into, into place. And that's what this is a picture of. And, and also the lesson we get out of that is put people in places of authority. Don't try to do it all. And even in a church as small as ours is, I try to get people to do other things. I don't touch the money. I have a treasurer that touches the money. Betsy helps us with the, with the dinners, you know. Uh, we do a lot of things. I do a lot because we're so small, but I also try to do things with other people. I have somebody else teach teaches Sunday school because I want that, I need to develop leaders and, and stuff so that the church does get big. We've got leaders developed. And if nothing else, just to free up other people's skills. And so we see David being showing this, adi- this, at- this attitude. All right. We're going to close here. We're just a couple minutes early. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask that you always teach us to be obedient, be wise, and solve things for, that you give us a desire to be able to solve. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.